You are listening to Friends of the Earth Europe's show at the Yogurt Radio. Radio Europe, a show bringing together what's going on in the over 30 national member groups of Friends of the Earth Europe. We're the European branch of the world's largest grassroots environmental and social justice network, Friends of the Earth International. I'm Fran. I'm Shanna. Hi. This is a podcast about civic space and more precisely, shrinking civic space. Shrinking civic space is a phenomenon that we've sadly become increasingly aware of in the Friends of the Earth Europe network in the last years. And we want to understand it better and how it's affecting our members and their work and our allies. Um, a healthy uh, civic space is a central feature of democratic um, societies because people and citizens could actually participate actively in the political sphere and also there's the universal declaration of human rights um, saying that everyone has the right to speak out to organize and to take action so for us this civil society space is connected to the freedom of expression freedom of assembly and the right to protest as well as the ability for non-government organizations to operate and act as watchdogs for governments and corporations. We are going to speak to two of our member groups for this podcast and hear really what's happening on the ground in Austria and in Cyprus in particular. So we want to we want to understand how civic space is affecting our member groups on the ground and also importantly how they are responding to it. But before we do that, we want to have a more global picture. And we've been doing some research and some mapping to try and understand what this phenomenon is and how it's affecting civil society. Mm -hmm. Well, within the Friends of the Earth Europe region, we have conducted an internal survey to identify how many of our member groups have experienced different types of pressure and forms of shrinking space. So to indeed understand how we are impacted and also what have been the response strategies and tactics. This uh, survey has resulted in the finding that um, 16 of our member groups have um, reported um, a form at least of uh, shrinking space. And the most common ones have been linked to stigmatization and negative labeling, pressure for participation, administrative restrictions, and yeah, in some cases also physical harassment and intimidation as well as criminalization through prosecution and investigation. So 
Basically, we found that all the most common recognized forms of shrinking civil society space are being experienced in the Friends of the Earth Europe network at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And also the allies that um, yeah, our member groups are working with. Mm -hmm. So this ranges from, as you said, negative labeling, just bad mouthing of NGOs or specific people or specific organizations and their work, and then legislative changes, which put real barriers on how NGOs can operate and the right to protest or the right to take part in demonstrations, mm -hmm. for example. And then it ranges up to prosecution and criminalization and uh, physical attacks. But am I right that the survey also told us that there's a lot of activity happening to resist this and to expose it, is that right? Yeah, definitely. Some of the most common strategies that were used by our member groups were linked to um, building coalitions, um, forming alliances with other um, organizations, also with media, with other stakeholders with, that usually we are um, less involved with. Other forms of um, responses have been linked to really massive um, communications and media work. Also, um, capacity building, whether it's uh, have being more equipped legally how to respond to um, system, systematic attacks. Was there any information in the survey about what's really behind this? Where's it coming from? Why has it uh, increased so much? Well, for environmental justice organizations who were campaigning, for example, against mining in one case. Yeah, there seemingly is a corporate capture of decision-making processes, whether it's um, through the issuance of um, environmental impact assessments or quote-unquote public consultations. It has been more and more difficult. And so perhaps it's also linking to our approach as Friends of the Earth, that we are trying to fight for justice, for people's and nature's rights. And of course, when we do that, there's the powers that we, that we are trying to counter, who are having vested interests, economic interests, to have their projects pushed through. And so there's this tension um, that happens. And unfortunately, those supposedly um, democratic spaces have been captured by corporate mm -hmm. power. And mm -hmm. yeah, some of the governing parties are yeah. working closely with those yeah. private companies. And we've seen a rise of a certain type of government, which is particularly friendly to mm -hmm. corporations mm -hmm. and more far right authoritarian style yeah. governments in in Europe. Yeah. And also, unfortunately, some of our organizations, because we are also a social justice network, um, those who have shown solidarity with um, marginalized sectors, whether it's refugees, migrants, have also been facing threats or criminalization for supporting people. So unfortunately, that's some of the things that came out of this mapping 
in the network and that only shows how we have to strengthen our ourselves in relation to promoting the rights of people. I think the best thing we can do is hear from people on the ground in their own words how uh, shrinking civil society space well, well, what it looks like in different countries. Yeah. And that's why we've been speaking to Friends of the Earth Austria and Friends of the Earth Cyprus. Hi, my name is Reinhard Urich of Friends of the Earth Austria, Global 2000. Thanks, Reinhard. Um, we're talking to you about civic space and the phenomenon of shrinking civic space. Can you say what experience you've got of that in Austria, please? Unfortunately, very nasty experience with shrinking space. University professor Ruth Simser, she actually studies shrinking space in all over Europe. And she introduced me to the concept of civil society capture. Three steps. First of all, a semantic weakening of civil society. Then, well, shrinking of participation and last of all changes to the policy level. And that's exactly what we have seen over the last four years in Austria. Could you talk us through that a bit then, over sure. the four years, what exactly has happened and how has it affected Global? Yeah, sure. You know, 2017 brought the Sebastian Kurz Conservative Party to into government. The party ruled together with the right-wing Freedom Party. And they started straight from the start with attacking civil society. First and foremost, obviously, the NGOs working in the field of migration, but also environmental NGOs. Straight from the beginning, of the, for example, the environment minister started stressing that NGOs were selecting their campaign targets primarily in view of financial motives from their, quote, business model. So, when I can, for example, when I confronted her in a public meeting on banning bee-harming neonicotinoids she said word by word I can understand that bees are attractive from your business model so derogatory terms for civil society claiming we only do it for money rather than for legitimate environmental uh, interests wow it's so blatant yes and we keep on seeing this that was a minister it's already part of the uh, bureaucracy of the ministry who is addressing us like that it just happened two weeks ago to my colleague working on plastics when we were talking about reducing plastic consumption in Austria he referred to the business model of the NGOs so this is part of their narrative that we are out there for the money and this is obviously weakening civil society by semantics that's the first step but that's the first phase yeah Okay, second phase is changes to participation. This, uh, I think that the most no notorious case was last year. The government changed legislation on the environmental impact assessment, but in a last minute change to this legislation, the coalition parties brought in a section into the, the legislation that every single organization wanting to participate in environmental impact assessments had to prove that at least 100 persons were members of these organizations, so excluding smaller organizations. 
and what was worse, forcing them to make names and addresses of these persons known to the Ministry of Environment and also to the Ministry of Economics. This obviously was a clear breach of data protection laws. So we fought that very heavy with uh, legal expertise, with lawyers and everything. We had a two-week very fierce and very public debate. We managed to br bring it to media, mass media and everything. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they're back down to a certain extent, mm -hmm. saying we have to prove 100 members to a notary, which is, in our view, still illegal. There's European Court of Justice uh, legislation while well, ruling on a similar case in Sweden that was deemed illegal under EIA uh, directive. So we're still fighting this, but the push is quite clear. They want to, first of all, delegitimize us, and then they want to exclude us from participation. That's the second step. And that's um, restrictions that you're operating under right now? Yes. We have to prove that we have 100 members to the ministry. Mm -hmm. This obviously creates work, creates cost, and excludes smaller NGOs that don't have 100 members. And we are just supporting a Dach organization, Ökobo. They are just fighting a legal cause for a smaller organization. We think it's illegal. Okay. So that's the second step. And the third step, to a certain extent, is, well, similar to this, changes to policy level. You know, the Conservative Party is very neoliberal. Sebastian Kurz is a very neoliberal chancellor. And he was strongly pushing the neoliberal agenda, in particular, of the Austrian Chamber of Commerce, Wirtschaftskammer. Again, trying to get in our field, when it came to environment, well, they did lots of things when it came to labor laws. But when it came to environment, the, I think, in my view, most notorious cha legislative change was the introduction of a so-called Standortentwicklungsgesetz, uh, framing it as positive for the Austrian business location as such, that, envir again, environmental impact assessments should be speeded up. So always framing it very positive. What this means, uh, what this meant in the first place was to stop environmental impact assessments after 12 months and to automatically approve the project. That was the legal proposal, which is obviously totally uh, illegal when it comes to environmental impact assessment uh, directed by EU, Aarhus, anything. And they again then changed it to creating an automatic option that after 12 months of the project being under environmental impact scrutiny, it moves to the next legal level, which is totally stupid. It's the next legal level doesn't even, wasn't involved before. In most cases, the, the project owners don't have the capacity to bring in all the documentation after until after six seven eight months so in most cases it's delayed due to lacking documentation mm -hmm. or to overload of bureaucracy but not to due to position by environmental organizations i can imagine that environmental impact assessments often take years for very good reason is is there a 
an example you can give us something to do with global's campaigns where you've seen directly the difference that the changes to the environmental impact assessments have made not yet as it's so heavily con contested okay so um, again with this Standortentwicklungsgesetz, the European Commission has just started infringement procedures against Austria. So we are quite positive that this legislation will have to be taken back. But as I said before, it's an atmosphere of attack, basically. Semantic attack and also legal changes that make our work more difficult. Already the previous government changed the legal situation we have to register demonstrations if we want to register them if we don't want to to do spontaneous illegal actions we don't want to do legal actions we used to have to register them 24 hours in advance we now have to register them 48 hours in advance okay. there's also some exclusion zones around certain sensitive business and this kind of shit which clearly creates a sense of shrinking space for civil society. This has been going on for more or less four years, you say? Yes. It has to be stressed. It started already under the Labour Conservative government, but it increased pace on a massive scale under the Conservative far-right coalition. Right. Yes, it is really alarming to hear these uh, symptoms of shrinking space yes. in Austria. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've mentioned a while ago that you have organized some uh, or like debates and also building your legal capacity. You've also mentioned like supporting smaller NGOs with less than 100 members. I wonder what other strategies or tactics do you have like in relation to responding to this shrinking space in Austria? Well, first of all, it has to be said that the environmental organizations were very well organized and very well coordinated when these attacks came. So we, we've been working closely with WWF, Greenpeace, but also with the big nature conservation organizations in Austria like Alpenverein. Alpenverein is the nature friends, but in particular Alpenverein is a very big organization, 750,000 members in Austria, a country of 8 million inhabitants. And they are very conservative. The, very Christian, very conservative, want to protect nature. And they realized that they were being threatened as well. So in particular, when it came to environmental impact assessments. So we managed to get all these organizations to coordinate and to speak up. And that was very important. Are there any other strategies that you're using uh, as Global 2000 or with allies to, to try and resist or push back on uh, civil society capture? Well, I would say first and foremost, media work. Very fast, very well-coordinated media work. As I said before, the, the changes to the environmental impact assessment when they wanted, to, wanted us to publish the names and addresses of our members, we hit them hard via radio interviews, via mass media publications for two weeks in a row, all this. And that was not just Global 2000, that was everyone. This is presumably a lot about claiming the narrative and talking about the importance of civic space and NGOs in a healthy democracy. Precisely. Mm -hmm. And we 
also have been part of an initiative by Attack Austria, the Solidaritätspakt, Solidarity Pact that we already started before the the last government, saying that we stand in solidarity with all sorts of NGOs. And out of this came a more active approach because this obviously was reactive in order to defend each other when we came under attack. But from this, we developed a report, basically a narrative saying what what the values of a living democracy are. And we presented that to quite good impact before the summer. So I think that needs to be repeated again and again, what a living democracy is and what is at stake, basically. But I think in times like these, and we're seeing tendencies in, well, not just Eastern countries, that, that I think is a learning from this. These populist politicians exist in, look to U United Kingdom, look to, I don't know, Bavaria, where I originally come from. So we have to resist. We have to show what the values are of a living democracy, and we have to stand up. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, thanks, Reinhard. Pleasure. My name is Nadafa Ioannou and I work for Friends of the Air, Cyprus. Hi, Natasha. We're trying to understand what shrinking space looks like in different parts of Europe and how it's affecting Friends of the Earth. And we understand that it's something that you're grappling with in Cyprus. So could you tell us what shrinking space are you aware of? What forms? We have had a lot of struggles. It's a small community, it's a small place. So uh, civil society has been struggling a lot to make a presence. Um, we have been regarded as a nuisance by uh, the government because we usually act as, uh, as a watchdog. Um, we do get invited in uh, public consultations, so we are present in these democratic protests regarding all the uh, policies, environmental policies or social policies. Um, but uh, the consultations are taking place during, uh, during the morning working hours. So that is not okay for us because most of the CSOs are run by, uh, by volunteers. Uh, this is the first part and the second part is like sometimes the, pub the uh, outcome of the public consultation is not taken into account by the decision makers. So this is a double-edged sword, like we are present in this democratic process but then we uh, what we say and uh, what we demand is not taken into, into account. Um, we also have experienced uh, a narrowing space for CSOs to operate due to the increase of neoliberal and far-right uh, uh, policies and politicians, of course, um, that have been attacking environmental and other social CSOs under the pretext that um, our, our group is halting all economic development and uh, any other advancement that is going to happen in the country. And we have been uh, the target of a lot of um, political harassment. One example of that, of that political harassment that is joined through, uh, with uh, some media support, 
is the uh, petition that we that uh, BirdLife Cyprus uh, issued about um, a new highway that was going to pass to an ecologically sensitive and protected area. Um, so BirdLife collected signatures to oppose this new highway and there, there have been attacks by uh, verbally, I mean, and uh, publicly through social media and other media outlets by the local authorities, by government, politicians, by uh, people in the media, journalists as well, and by other uh, groups that are local and operate in that uh, area because these people want the highway and they think that uh, it's going to make their lives better, but that's that would not be the case anyway. Um, for I mean, one one really uh, bad example of, of that harassment was like three or four days ago, there was a media article in one of the biggest news agencies uh, in the country that was uh, pretty offensive for the people that are working on bird life. It was sexist because it was women that were presented this uh, petition to the government. And it was really degrading on the environmental struggles that we have. Um, also in, in media, um, in, in Cyprus generally, I mean, if we exclude social media, there is a, they provide a little space for CSOs to come out or like in panels or in, uh, in, in shows or in debates. Uh, especially the traditional media like TV, uh, radio, or uh, big newspapers or different news outlets. Um, and we get coverage uh, and we get uh, demands for us to be there in the panels when there is a conflict between CSOs and, and the government. This is okay in a sense, but it's promoting a very negative image of uh, civil society organizations and uh, environmentalists as well because we, we are uh, presented as people who are always uh, pessimists looking at the negative side that we're nagging and that we don't want anything basically happening in the country um, in society as well sometimes I mean people do not uh, quite understand our role and why we uh, how we operate in, in society in general. Um, there was a, a basic lack of active citizenship uh, a few years back in, in Cyprus, but we have seen that this has been increasing, it has been changing, and we are really, really happy about that. Uh, we are witnessing a lot of grassroots initiatives popping up all over the island, and uh, that uh, and these initiatives are promoting environmental and social justice. Mm -hmm. um, since the financial crisis in the, in the earlier in the decade, um, CSOs have in, in Cyprus have no core funding from, uh, from the government. And has, this has not changed, even though some people say the economy is getting better. Uh, and of course, this reduces the, uh, the capacities that the NGOs and civil society organizations have in order to operate, increase their strength, and therefore, um, being, being small, uh, it doesn't allow you to demand and expand in an already uh, shrinking civil society space. Thanks, Natasha. 
I mean, it sounds like a really live current situation. You talked about an article just this week and it sounds like it's taking different forms as well. Do you observe that it's got worse? Is this a recent phenomenon? How has the situation changed from how you see it? It has, it, it's, it's a circle basically. I mean, it, it depends on, on which time period we are, we, we are talking about. In, in certain times, it, it is worse, but recently the, the challenge is that it has been hidden and it has been covered by uh, all these neoliberal policies um, that attack that we get as, uh, as CSOs. I mean, it hasn't gone away. And what does that mean for your day-to-day work? Well, it's, it's something that you need to, to work against it, so it's part of your day-to-day activities, like responding uh, to people or responding to the article. Um, it needs a lot of, uh, of planning, a lot of communication in order to have um, a basic plan in advance how to handle um, uh, this attack. And also it, it gets, it, you need more effort and you need more um, struggle, let's say, and more strength in order to get over these, uh, uh, these small little things that happen, that co- come in your, in your day-to-day work. Yeah. Um, we are also very interested to hear what you have been doing to respond to the shrinking civil society space. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are aware that uh, one of your response uh, activities is like focus on capacity building to strengthen the role of civil society. And uh, perhaps you could tell us also more about this? Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, in terms of uh, advocacy and dealing with uh, policy and decision makers, we are forming coalitions and coalitions are really important for us, alliances, uh, because we are strong in numbers mm-hmm. and we have to be honest, I mean, no one can do this alone. Um, we do. We have uh, have established coalitions between environmental groups and other organisations, and uh, coalitions between environmental and social groups or uh, other uh, organisations and initiatives. We are trying to build and, and expand our network, um, and we support several initiatives and grassroots. And with all these, we are becoming stronger in, uh, in, in groups and in numbers in order to um, be able, when we visit the decision makers, when we make a claim, we do it as, uh, as a group, as many people, as different kinds of organizations, uh, which, makes this, which makes this easier to access them and request meetings. It does not necessarily mean that we, uh, our, our points are being heard or they are taken into consideration, but it does um, make uh, a difference. So as um, uh, Shana mentioned, we are focusing on capacity building as well. Um, we had uh, the three-day training seminar in, uh, in Cyprus on advocacy, where participants had the opportunity to polish their advocacy skills work on their plans and um, become more effective and have more results when we when we do advocacy because 
this is really important. So we work on um, on building alliances, on the, how we focus our energies, uh, how to focus our capacity. Because if you if we are small, then we need to hit where it will make the the bigger effect. On uh, on the levels of um, the different attacks that we that we get, uh, especially through the media. Um, we do issue statements. This is how we usually deal with, uh, with these issues um, against the attacks, of course. And we're trying to, uh, we're basically, we are, we are standing our ground. And we are standing in, in solidarity with other groups that have been uh, attacked or have been going through this because it's really uh, heartbreaking sometimes when other organizations go through all this stuff. In, in media now, how we are dealing with, uh, with the shrinking space that we find in, in media, we are trying our best to utilize uh, the small space that is been given to the civil society organizations. We basically jump on any opportunity where we can present uh, environmental and other social issues on the media outlets and we are always open to talk uh, to TV or, or radio shows on, on any issues. Uh, we are present when the, there is conflict between uh, the government or, or the local authorities and environmental organize, organizations. But uh, it's very difficult not to feed into the notion that uh, the CSOs are always negative, are always against government policies or measures. So uh, we are trying to, to be as objective as possible, but it's very difficult because we are mostly uh, are against governmental policies, especially when they're not uh, doing what they're supposed to do. And mm -hmm. uh, so to, to back up that and to uh, increase our capacity building, especially in media, we organized uh, two trainings uh, in Cyprus. One was the media training for CSOs and the other one was a, a journalist training on environmental and social issues. So the media training was uh, a capacity building workshop, one day workshop that focused, uh, that was uh, targeted on representatives and people that work on NGOs and CSOs. Um, and it was focused on how to access different media outlets how to write a press release, how to handle bad press or bad uh, publicity, and how to be basically more present in, in traditional media that have a further outreach in, uh, in society, except social media, of course. And uh, the journalist training was um, focused on inform informing journalists on the work that we do. So we wanted to, um, to decompose the negative image that usually the media have uh, on environmental activists or any other uh, TSOs and promote the positive narrative on, on civil society, of course. It's really inspiring what you're doing, Natasha. Um, I really see some of your initiatives being very inspirational and useful in other countries. Yeah. And mm -hmm. 
I think I have a particular interest in how you're trying to reclaim space in the media and change the narrative on civil society. What perceptions did you feel like the journalists had before the training and what perceptions do you think they had at the end? Well, some of the some of the journalists they were really curious as to like see see the faces, let's say. Um, so they didn't. I don't know if if they had another another idea of how we usually look. So they were really open to to listen to to what we do, our campaigns, our demands. Um, we were able to discuss. Um, our demands with them as well. They also gave us uh, some ideas. So it was a really good discussion and um, I think that um, most journalists up there left with a, a more positive image. Good to know. Just one last question. You spoke about the importance of coalition building and alliances and showing solidarity and I think that's something that Friends of the Earth and broader civil society as a whole would say is key to pushing back against shrinking space. Do you have ideas about how the European network of Friends of the Earth can um, maximize our alliance or be more in solidarity with each other and help each other when somebody comes under attack? Um, I think one of the, the best examples that we already have experienced as, as a network was uh, the School of Sustainability. I mean, that um, the, the notion and the way that that project was operating, it was really establishing bases and building relationships and partnerships and hence coalitions and solidarity between the member groups. <laughs> I'm really moved. Shannon's <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah. particularly happy to hear that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. But I mean, it's, it has been the, uh, the truth. I mean, I, I personally have learned so much throughout that project uh, in, uh, in new tools and new methodologies popular education, how to facilitate training, how to encourage affected communities, how to work with different communities. So I think that, that was that was the basis. And then after you had that base and that first layer, you are able to uh, push for uh, uh, space in a shrinking civil society area because you have all these tools and all that background. Yeah, it somehow really fostered also the community that we have in Friends of the Earth Europe. Yeah, there are, all, of course, definitely some practical things, how to community do community organizing and so on and so forth. And yeah, now I'm just really yeah glad to that those are really useful also in your practical day-to-day -day relations with allies and yeah finding. Like what you said, you know, solidarity and uh, strength in numbers. Thank you so much, Natessa. Well, thank you for uh, having me. It was a really pleasure, uh, pleasure talking to you, girls.
Thanks for listening. To keep up to date with our network's campaigns, follow Friends of the Earth Europe on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website at www.foeeurope.org. Get involved with a Friends of the Earth group near you by going to foeeurope.org slash network. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts. And follow radio stories from around the Friends of the Earth International Network at radiomundoreal.fm. Thanks to Pete, the temp, for the music. And see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. This was Friends of the Earth Europe and Rio Radio.